Welcome to the Roberts Institute of Art podcast, a place to explore, reimagine, and exchange ideas about culture through conversations. My name is Ned McConnell, curator at the Roberts Institute of Art, and I'm here to introduce this special edition of our podcast on togetherness. This is part of our year-long online series called Recall Evening of Performances, where we are celebrating and learning from some of the artists commissioned for the 12 editions of our Evening of Performances programme, which ran annually from 2008 to 2019. These one-night events showcase diverse performance works, from dance to DJing, poetry to visual art. The Evening of Performances commissioned dozens of new works that were shown to several thousand live audience members in iconic London venues such as Coco and Ministry of Sound. Drawing this programme to a close, we are now exploring what the next wave of contemporary performance can be by turning to some of the artists who have shaped it so far. In this podcast series, we ask an artist who performed in one of the evening of performances to choose someone to be in conversation with about collaboration, their respective practices and the future of performance. In this edition, Grace Schwint, who performed in the 2018 evening of performances, invited Kathleen van Longendonk to discuss their collaborations together. The performance turn is anchored in the visual art world for several years now. Um, but since the beginning of the 20th century, performance art has often been a temporary attempt to break open the museum. And now what you see now is this, that bodies seem to take their place alongside objects in museum spaces more and more. Grace Schwint is a German artist working with film, live performance, sculpture and drawing. Through her work, she unfolds visual narratives exploring the effects of capitalist culture upon the body and the psyche of the individual. Really, there isn't much difference for me between a sculpture and a performance, let's say. To say why I'm interested in the fragility is because I think it actually could be a potentially very powerful tool to make huge changes in society. Kathleen van Longendonk is a Belgian curator and academic, currently developing research at Brussels University into performance and the translation of the medium between visual arts and theatre. She has previously held curatorial and directorial roles at Kai Theatre in Brussels, including programming Performatique, a performance and live art biennial. Now we hear Grace and Kathleen discussing Grace's practice and the crossovers between Kathleen's current research. So. Grace, the performance turn is anchored in the visual art world for several years now. But since the beginning of the 20th century, performance art has often been a temporary attempt to break open the museum. And now what you see now is this, that bodies seem to take their place alongside objects in museum spaces more and more. Uh, performance artists regularly win Golden Lions at the Venice Biennale. Uh, performance art appears not only during art biennials, but also during commercial art fairs. And MoMA, Tate Modern and many other institutions have a separate department now for the medium, which is then called performance art or life art. Uh, the reverse moment also prevails, although maybe a bit less. Visual artists use the theatre machinery as a playground for new research, often initiated during festivals by theatre houses that have been thinking interdisciplinary from, uh, for some time, like I did in, uh, in Kai Theatre. What I noticed is that in curating transfers from one world to another, I noticed that um, those who are considered innovative on the one hand are often labeled amateur on the other and I mean the two worlds huh? so um, the biggest uh, visual artist could be called amateurs when entering the the theater hall with all his skills and vice versa um, so performance art seems to have and it's maybe a, a bit of a, a radical meaning or a statement but it's interesting to start from it seems to have no inherent meaning um, appreciation is largely dependent on the framing and that on different levels. Um, that's, what I that's what I research now. And why I'm so interested in also talking with you is not only because of the... Um, the, that, because of the fact that we work together, but also uh, because I find it very interesting the way you use performance art. It's not at a certain moment in your career 
as was very often with the avant-garde, for instance, there was a certain moment of using performance art, and then it was what Dorothea van Hantemal calls the musification. Huh? So that it just becomes part of the museum and it stops and something else uh, starts. Um, in your work, I have the impression that the different media, sculpture, drawing, uh, film and performance are really equal elements and you use them also uh, together, which is very interesting and which is also in my research quite exceptional. Mm -hmm. So um, my first question would be um, using those different medias, um, you also need different skills. Um, what is your background, what is your education that you are able to be so diverse in your art? It is a very interesting question and it's, it's quite difficult to answer, I think, for me because I have to kind of explain something that I take really for granted, but that I never really heard somewhere else. So I try to really... Um, describe it as best as I can. So, um, because I think what's really important in this description is that really there isn't much difference for me between a sculpture and a performance, let's say. Um, so I also, I think this is also connected to another question um, of how I make a decision, which medium to use. So, which is about the process. So my background to start with that, is actually that um, from a very young age, I started to make drawings and sculptures. And because there was a lot of um, sculpture material around my house because my of my mother, I used to actually make stone sculptures um, when I was very young, like eight years old or something. Um, and and then I, I started to actually think about performance and um, made performances for film. So I had this camera from school that I used, this VHS camera. And I, yeah, I made performance for film. They're probably pretty terrible, but I was 15 years old then. So, um, but it became a really important part actually then already performance and in terms of um yeah kind of uh, filming actions and qu quite choreographed actually um so it it developed really and and then also when i was young i started to work with uh, wood uh, with steel i was welding these big sculptures somehow um so it i think my background i was now I'm thinking I was completely free, let's say, you know, because I just saw a piece of steel or went to like a industrial scrapyard and thought, oh, this is a great piece of steel. And I thought it's possible to just weld it, you know, without actually learning properly how to do it. So I think I was thinking about that, but that's really my background that I would always assume that even if it's not perfect, it's possible, you know to do it so um and, and 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 but then i somehow ended up studying photography which is quite strange but um i think now my practice really is actually coming back to that attitude when i really started to make work uh, when i was really young and um but I, I i do work with a lot of different a lot of different languages i mean i use opera singing I use punk drumming. I use um, ballet. I, you know, I, I use like so many different, um, yeah, disciplines that each have a massive history. I mean, um, and so I'm, I'm, a, you know, the word like amateur is is correct because there's no way for me to really be an expert in all these things. But um, but then I'm thinking, what what is an expert? You know, it's, okay, let's say it's a lot of, in some cases, it's really technical knowledge, like, you know, how to work, how to weld, or I don't know. Um, but then on in, in other things, it's also like, for example, when I made a film with a film 
crew from the film world. I mean, there, there are like a lot of conventions of, for example, how to use a camera, like how to go from one shot to the other, which I didn't follow. Like, for example, the film, I didn't follow it the way that you do it, you know, as a professional camera person, let's say. And it, of course, it upset the camera person because it, for him, it felt I'm doing, I'm doing it because I don't know better, you know, because I don't understand that if you shoot from the front in order to shoot then from the back, you need a sh shot in between from the side, because otherwise it's a ridiculous cut, you know, that people wouldn't understand what's going on. But for me, it was really a important part of the language that I wanted to use. But that's, of course, also the renewal or the new, you can be, um, you can be new when you maybe don't have enough skills. You can also be too much an expert and then you have so many codes and you need to fulfill those codes because if you don't do that, you are not the expert in that particular, maybe only montage in a film, a particular job. But then it's also difficult to renew the art form. You know, when I think about it, I'm also, of course, aware that there are a lot of histories, different histories of renewing, like you say, conventions. In a way, I'm, I think it's, it doesn't really lead to anything if I try to um, exp explain it to myself, you know, like, like what, yeah, I don't know it. Like how, what, like what, let's say this way I use a camera, what history that refers to, of, of course it refers to histories because of course I look at stuff and then I get excited and I'm 100% sure that all these things influence me because it's impossible that I just invent this from nowhere, of course. Um, so it's, it's interesting, I think to, yeah, to, to see, oh, there's something that feels similar to how I want to do it. Like, And why why are they, why they have been doing it? So th these moments are really exciting, um, but they're not like to conclude something, you know. For me, I even now like I get excited, <laughs> like by the thought of um, yeah this uh, this idea that I could just oh maybe I could like use another um, like look into another history and maybe there's a tool that makes sense in relation like a dance. A moment in history that makes sense in relation to the glazing that I use on a ceramic, you know. So it, of course, it's it's not practical, you know. Um, but but I had also very beautiful moments like that because I, um, for example, the ceramic actually I kind of used glazes, let's say, like wrong, yeah, like conventionally wrong because you weren't supposed to mix these or that, or, um, I used, yeah. But then sometimes also, of course, things happen that are really great, you know, like for example, with glazing and, and I had nice moments then with people who were upset of the way I did it. And then they thought, oh, actually let's, you know, then they kind of helped me to develop it because they got excited about this new way. So it, it can also happen with this non-knowledge, <laughs> um, Yeah. So, so it's, and I, I, I think borrowing maybe is a nice term sometimes. Like I borrow tools from different conventions. Yeah. That's a nice one. Yeah. Of course, if you borrow tools, you also have to translate your idea of borrowing to the people who have the skills so that they understand. And that's a big part of my research. The, the main word that always Returns is amateurism versus professionalism, but also translating and the need of translating. And also, and that's my next question, um, the problems that uh, not, not only translating, but also having different definitions for the same word. And then we arrive at um, the subject of today is performance. But of course, performance is a, a, a container word and it's um, everybody has another definition of performance or performance art. Some people don't want to use it and they, 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 
You also mentioned already the word action. Um, some people like Tino Segal speak about situations and so on. Uh, on your website, which is um, your way to express yourself, you use the word performance. Can you um, explain me uh, why you decided to use performance and not dance, singing, but the word performance? I mean, um, I think performance, in a in a way, I think can include um, different elements. For I mean, for me at least. So um, yeah. So for example, it, it my performances always include like sculptures, um, s s music, dance, costumes. Um, and lighting often with opera and city lighting became really important. If I would call it dance, a dance piece or a dance, a dance, choreography, a dance. <laughs> um, I think then maybe it's exactly the issue that we just spoke about, because then the expectations would be within this kind of um, set framework of reading and the, you know, and reading and looking at dance And I've, I guess I feel that I would mislead the, you know, the, an audience, you know, because it's, it's not a dance because I'm, I'm just using dance, let's say. Of course, it's not to not take responsibility, but it's, um, or, or music because sometimes, um, yeah, sometimes, for example, I made a sound piece, like a sound piece, I called it. And I was thinking, should I call it? In music because like I did this uh, performance madness and other tales at um, in Vigo at the museum of contemporary art there. It was a concert. It was a music concert, but, um, but then I thought, okay, but I, the sky, the, the, the costume was a sculpture in a way. So then I thought, I oh, know I want to call it performance because that way the, the sculpture can have a place in it. The costume can have a place in it equal to this, to the sound. It, I guess it's also not wanting to prioritize one element, like make kind of a hierarchy. It allows for me that, that the different elements can be equal if I call it performance. So it's interesting that um, your reason to call it performance is uh, one of the reasons is that, uh, if I understand it well, that you see the sculpture as sculpture. Uh, because I was thinking when I was reviewing your performances on screen, I was thinking of theater or Gesamtkunstwerk, huh? because you use different elements. But it's very interesting that you talk about the sculpture work, which afterwards is also in a gallery or in a museum as an art object, because there we have those two terms. What is a prop in theater is an art object in the visual art world. If you are asked to make a performance in a theater hall and you use your own art objects, how do you feel or what do you want the audience to feel and how are the reactions and what are the differences when you put that same object later on in a different context? Yeah, I, th I think the reason why I'm very reluctant to think of these objects as props is because I don't want them to serve the performer. I, I don't want them to, I want them, I don't know why really, but it's so important for me somehow in my like feeling that all these different elements are equally important because for example, I, I even could break it down like that. Like I, I want the sculpture let's or the object to be as important as a note that comes from the singer's mouth or you know and i think the other thing is that i i always found it very disturbing <laughs> that in films like also when i was young that i'm kind of yeah that that let's say costumes are ser serving for me to believe in this character and so on You know, I, I kind of wanted to, I, I guess I'm trying to break down conventions of creating values that I feel 
can be quite violent, let's say. So I, I almost want to undo these things. And for me, one logical way, I guess, was to say, okay, so what is there? Like, look, look at everything, kind of break it down almost. Like, let's say walking, don't take walking just as walking because walking can never be neutral. So how can I take, you know, walking is gendered and so on and so forth. So it, then I, if I, can I take this responsibility of uh, just have someone walk, um, you know, and, and actually maintain or establish values that are actually quite damaging in terms of how gender is created through walking, for example. So instead of walking, like lift a leg, lift one leg up, move it forward, put it down again, and really feel like how that feels in the different parts of their bodies, like in the shoulder and the chest and the tummy and, and kind of unlearn how each individual, depending on like their age, gender, backgrounds, and so on, height, you know, abilities, everything, like how insecurities, like all these things, how they learn to walk, I kind of want to undo it. So I guess the the question of, um, yeah, so, so in that sense, I didn't want anything to serve something else. Actually, the script of the boxer is based on, is a development from the script of The Signal, uh, which I did in 2011, maybe, I think. Um, at the South London Gallery. And so there I really focused on the um, body of the soldier. Um, so it was based actually, it was kind of based on different soldiers, but also on like my grandfather's um, body. Um, and yeah, like how, well, it, it was in a way also how, uh, yeah, how, how we are supposed to function in this capitalist society, I mean, in, in the Western society. So how did you translate that for the boxer, for the performance? The starting point of this was that in the signal, I used my own body and I actually did this stunt where I fell backwards into this pool from a rock um, because there's a story of the soldiers uh, standing, climbing up to, on a cliff in order to receive the signal that then actually resulted in a battle because that was the signal to shoot. And I was questioning whether he should have maybe not climbed up that cliff, you know, because then there wouldn't have been the battle. And, but of course it's not that easy uh, decision, but anyways, my approach translation, that was to use my own body to, in a way, uh, negotiate history or historical traumas through my own body, you know, use it as a vehicle somehow. But in fact, I kind of put, that was a turning point for me because I, this translation actually put, I put myself in danger, you know, it was really way too dangerous to do because I fell backwards. Um, I mean, I, I worked with a stunt person, but I'm, this is when actually non-skilled situations are not okay, I think. But anyways, I'm happy I did it. But I think in the box, I, I, I wanted to also negotiate and focus on this possibility of, um, yeah, of care. You know, I fo I fo actually I focused on care. So there's a lot of focus on, on that. Uh, it was a turning point in a way f f for my practice, this, this connection. That's why I mentioned it because it was like, okay, maybe I don't need to uh, relive a, a draw, you know, it's like a idea of uh, reliving a historical traumas through traumatizing my body now, but actually to think of also possibilities of care and, and healing and so on. Uh, so it, yeah. So it was also how the performers uh, moved the sculptures on stage or in the audience. It was really like um, with care, you know. Talking uh, about care, I would like to jump from talking about care in the narrative of your performance uh, to the institutional context and care for bodies. Um, when we talk about the two different worlds in performing arts, um, the bodies of the performers are taken care of. Very literal. You have, uh, you are paid, you have uh, a shower, you have a room to rehearse and so on. Um, it's more difficult for objects in the theater, right? or it's more difficult to uh, 
to paint a wall, for instance. When you go to the context of the museum, I have the impression that it's the opposite. You can, there, there's really uh, taking care of the objects, the art objects, you have art handlers, and the whole institution is made to take care of objects, but you then decide also to do performances in the museum context, in the gallery context. So uh, what are your experiences and, and what are maybe your solutions of how to take care of bodies um, and of labor in that context of uh, museum and galleries? Yeah, I, I think one thing that, that I realized was that I really needed to ask the performers what they exactly need because there are, you know, dancers need very different things to singers, for example. Um, so it was really, yeah, that was kind of one uh, thing that I realized is not because, yeah, because there's a lot of, in a way, I think in, in a way it's, it's not so complicated what a body needs, let's say, you know, because, most of the things could be available, yeah, let's it say. Seems, it seems to be easy, but apparently exactly. it's not. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like heating, uh, you know, a, a, a safe room uh, to warm up uh, in, like that where there's no one that can walk through. Um, yeah, a, a shower would be great. <laughs> um, towels, but yeah. If, if water, food. I mean, it's, it's, it's so you know it it should be possible. But I think it's it is also the responsibility. Like I feel it's also my responsibility as an artist when I invite like you know people from these different disciplines. That uh, yeah, that I communicate that to the museum, like, and that I ask them uh, what it's. I mean, it's sometimes. You, you go then and, and say, okay, they need this and this and, you know, uh, but then it's because sometimes they're really small things. They appear very small things. Then they're also forgotten, you know, because it's like, oh, um, it needs to be warm, you know, especially for the singers, like it needs, it needs but also for now for the dancers also, but it needs to be warm, you know? So then, but how exactly, you know, that is defined or, I don't know, it, it's, it's actually then turns quite complicated or access to spaces because you need to, you know, that's very difficult because the performance starts at, at 10 or, I don't know, let's at six. But actually sometimes performers need, because they have their own special routines. I mean, sometimes, of course, you can say there's limitations, but like, can they access the space three hours before, you know, so, so these practicalities actually sometimes led to situations that became very difficult, you know, because it was only possible to access half an hour before, let's say, but it wasn't enough time to warm up, you know, so then, but if you go somewhere else warming up, I mean, these things become actually uh, so important that whether, you know, whether it depends on whether the person's able to perform or not. Mm-hmm. And uh, but yeah, do you do you feel that it's your responsibility? Is it is it are you? Is it is it possible? What are your experiences with it? It's not really possible. I think my I guess my responsibility is to really communicate it clearly, like in advance, also. But of course, I can't. Yeah, th- that's the difficulty because I don't have the possibility to like make sure it's warm. You know, or and and also, of course, I'm, th- yeah. So that's a bit where I think maybe that would be good to have someone like a, yeah, like a different person because, of course, I'm completely preoccupied with thinking about the directing. You know, and th- I need to focus, like, because of all these different elements, I need to like be in this hyper focus mode. Mode. So it's actually really difficult for me to, yeah, make sure that they have a water. Or, uh, but I think it's difficult because uh, it's, yeah, because I am not, I don't really have the capacity or the means to really make sure that the bodies are taken care of. I guess that's the problem. Also, my mental capacity, you know, because I have to really focus on the making sure I, I, 
I prepare everything for the performance that is okay. So it's, it's sometimes I get, yeah, I get into these situations where then the performer comes to me and says, I don't have water or something, or I need a snack now. And then I say, oh God, I don't, yeah, then it becomes difficult because um, I cannot leave to, yeah. I feel it's, it's not the responsibility of the artist. Um, of course, you can, you can have a technical rider with all your needs, but it's the responsibility of the institution. Like in the theater, in my experience, we very often um, don't take care of the art objects because we see it as props, so insurance-wise and so on. Um, in the museum, they don't take care of those uh, very practical but so important uh, things of uh, people who enter the museum. So um, if museum decide to work with people and to do performances, it's their uh, responsibility to change the inst institution so that it's possible to, uh, to do it. I mean, may maybe instead of, like, I think because for people in the theater, it's so common sense, you know, how to take care of a body. And also in the museum, it's so common sense how to take care of an object. You know, it's like you use these specific gloves, you, you, you know, if this is a material, it can't be in a moist area, it can't be hitting by sun, blah, blah, blah. you know, it's really, yeah, it almost needs also an exchange of this expert knowledge um, rather than the discipline mainly. Yeah, yeah. Um, I would like to continue talking about, about fragility and the body of the performer, um, uh, but seen from the viewpoint of the visitor or the audience. Uh, very often in theater, the audience is in a fourth wall construction, so there is a bit of distance. Um, when you uh, do a performance in a museum or a gallery, um, like the one that you were describing, uh, somebody lying on the ground, um, is very fragile and also the visitor of a museum is more independent. You don't know what, he's, what he or she is going to do. Huh? In a theatre there is more the code of the attention, you are in a certain space for a certain time and some people can leave when they don't like it but very often they just wait and then you have the end and there is an applause. In a museum you can decide how long you stay, you can use your phone, you can take pictures from the bodies from a very close eh, close-ups so um what is your experience with it um i i feel very often uh with performance in uh, museum that it's um very fragile and maybe uh that the performer is put in a too fragile position yeah i i, I think i mean in this in that instance at museum m i i specifically kind of use that actually this fragile position but for example as a result i was almost there the whole time you know also for that reason um be because yeah some of course people also like this you know they they could have misread this invitation to be in a powerful position let's say um but i don't know i i my, I don't know, in that situation, my feeling was that people like actually this invitation to, to pause like inappropriately long for an exhibition, you know, like there was in also museum and there was another performer that uh, was inside this uh, sculpture and she did this really, uh, it's like kind of a bird figure uh, with a costume and she was doing these movements with her arms and it looked like that the bird was kind of breathing, you know, and and that was it, you know, and it was, but it was surrounded by these um, figures of uh, Jesus sculptures. So Jesus on a cold stone and Jesus on the cross. It's a really like heavy history there going on. Um, but I was surprised actually how there were so many people who sat down on the floor, you know, in the, in the museum and just, stood when really close to the sculpture that was breathing and stood there for like so long you know like 20 minutes or something like that you know really long um so i i i don't know i kind of feel that people in in my experience really respond strongly to this fragility of the body or 
I don't know. I mean, maybe I was just lucky, you know, but I did also in Korea an exhibition uh, where the when the performer started at the opening, everyone went away, you know, and I wanted the opposite, of course. Like everyone wanted the edges of the room. I said like, oh my God, this is all going wrong. But in a way it was kind of beautiful also because then they slowly moved back towards the performer, you know, and spent time next to the performer. And I think it was a nice... Yeah, it was kind of, it felt like it, taking care also a lot, you know. I mean, maybe it's the the the, the way, the perf maybe it's because the performers appear very fragile. Like, uh, that then, yeah, I don't know. But I, I had mainly this experience of people pausing, you know, and like being very careful, yeah. I have to say. Yeah. But mm. yeah. Um, um, what I also like in, in your approach of performance is that um, uh, you really think of an afterlife of a performance and not only in the more classical way that you do a performance or in the museum or in the theater and then the sculpture or the drawing uh, goes to the gallery and then uh, it's sold. Mm -hmm. um, um, I have the impression, and it would be nice that you give some examples, that, for instance, the project we did together uh, during Performatic, Opera and Steel, it was a performance for a theater hall. It was 50 minutes. Um, but then Opera and Steel had an afterlife in different media and in different contexts, um, and maybe it still has. So you keep continuing and developing the same projects in different uh, media, with different media, in different institutions, um, which is a very um, interesting way of dealing with the continuity uh, instead of just uh, selling and touring with the same performance. Yeah, I think opera and steel and also the box are good examples, I think, both. So uh, opera and steel, actually the first uh, time I worked with that material was uh, yeah, it was a sound piece where I worked with three opera singers in Shetland Island. And then it was live transmitted to different galleries. So it was a sound piece. And I worked with the script. The script then changed. but um, And I worked with the sound, the singing, and also the sound of the lighthouse, like this kind of, um, and the foghorn. So that was in the nature and so on. So that was the first. And then I did an installation for the Istanbul Biennale 2015, where I uh, did like a I think it's an installation, I would use that word, uh, because I had like some objects in a room and then also sound piece. And the sound piece was again using the script and uh, singing that interrupted the reading, which I was doing. Um, and then Opera and Steel as a, with different elements really came together in the performance, um, in, in the, for the theater, theater. Um, that we did together. So it was a 50 minute where different objects then came in where the different worlds were really developed. I also made a short film <laughs> uh, where I worked with the um, figure of the birder and I did a, a he, he danced on the, on a beach actually. Um, and next to a lighthouse, a real lighthouse. <laughs> and I did like a film and then in the film, he kind of his, there's like all this oil dripping from his body. And in the end he turns into this oil uh, thing. So it was like an animation thing. Uh, Oh, I turned into that. And and then also, yeah, the, the the sculptural elements appeared in different exhibitions, also with the performers, like with the acrobat and then also with new performers. So in Korea, it was like the acrobat, but then a new performer. It, it um, And they developed in a way a new piece together, you know. Um, and, and with the boxer, uh, also like it was, it started there, it started really with a performance piece. And now in fact, it's developing. Well, then the objects really became part of all kinds of exhibitions. Um, and I developed new sculptures in relation to these sculptures. So that became almost like a, yeah, they'd start to have a new life. Um, and and also sometimes the costumes became really a part, like a sculpture, but not just a costume, but then I used other elements with it and created a sculpture. Um, and now I'm making... I'm actually preparing an exhibition at the St. Gallen Kunstmuseum where the boxer will be, is the starting point for this exhibition. So 
I developed a lot <laughs> of new uh, <laughs> sculptures and also some at uh, this first time where actually the, the scale is like a real body of the sculpture. So that's the first time that's a new, also for me, experience with thinking about performance and sculpture. Um, and also in the outside, there will be a sculpture outside in the park and so on. So, and I rewrote the script so that the performance will be over a period of three hours like slowly developing, um, they will like be in the exhibition space. And then towards the end, there will be like a one hour or 50 minutes, maybe performance on this big stage that I built in the museum. Uh, the so end of the opening day or the end yeah. of the exhibition? No, the end of the opening day, but then it will be reactivated a few times, but it will be the same performers. Let's say, uh, you know, not a soldier won't be there anymore. <laughs> uh, a bodybuilder, a singer, a drummer, um, a boxer. And uh, yeah, and so so then we will reactivate throughout the exhibition a few times. That's very interesting. I think you have the, you have the different, um, let's call it characters in the museum with the time of the museum, so durational. And then you have the boxer as a performance with a fixed time on the stage of the museum as well. Exactly. So, so like the, for example, the dancer, some will be like the bodybuilder will be actually on a plinth um, next to other sculptures and he will go through his routine um, of holding these positions like I did at, um, at the, the Kentish uh, Town Forum. So he was also on a, well, no, he wasn't on a plinth in the end, actually. He was in the audience on the floor. Um, but here I want to put him on a plinth um, like really this idea. Yeah. I, I mean, really like a body on a plinth. I don't know. I never did that, but I'm quite tempted <laughs> to do it. Let's, I, I hope it works out, but anyway, so, and then the dancer and the boxer will be in the different museum spaces. So it, there's a lot of step, different spaces. So it's a solo exhibition. So I have the, the kind of, um, yeah, like my, the different sculptures will be in these different rooms, like all relating to the same story. And, and then, yeah, so th there will be, yeah, the sculptures and the um, performance will be very close together. But then in the end, they come slowly gather in this room. I kind of want to use this idea of gathering. And then there will be also the spoken text and so on. So they, it will peak to the performance. So it, it's amazing, I think, how you repuzzle from a certain idea, from a certain point and how you keep making new work outfits. Um, what I'm wondering then is, um, is there a starting point? And also, is there very often first a sculpture or does it depend on the interaction with the curators and the institutions if it's first a performance and then it becomes something else? Um, I'm thinking here of the concept of the indisciplinary also by Mitchell, that maybe as an artist like you, using so many different medias, um, that maybe you have first the ID and then you choose the, the medium you want to use. I'm wondering, how does it work for you? Yeah, it, I think actually that, that it's always different, actually. Um, so, yeah, so, so for for example, okay, with the boxer, I had that specific focus of this conversation with my grandfather. So that's sometimes this, um, let's say, process for me. Often was like I do a conversation with someone, and from there, then a work develops. Um, and and in this case, often like a performance or a film developed when it was a conversation. Um, but now it's different, you know, because for example. Um, now with Opera and Steel, I'm still fixated also on uh, these Baroque sculptures, you know, like this open mouth. <laughs> and I think probably I will at one point do a series of sculptures and then uh, from this, and probably I will develop a performance from that because that would be quite logical for me, you know, that relationship. So it, it can also... Um, yeah, it come, yeah, kind of, or, or with Opera and Steel, I actually had a conversation with a birder that I, I interviewed lots of different people actually, but there were some moments there that really fascinated me. So, and there I first wanted to really write a script and focus on the sound, you know, the sound, 
But I knew, of course, the whole time I want to make a performance. And I had already developed these different ideas for the sculptures. Um, yeah, but it's, it's, I guess what I'm trying to say is that, um, yes, and then sometimes maybe I could make a drawing and then a new whole body of work develops from that, you know? Like, it's a, yeah. Yeah, no, it, it's very interesting to hear about, about that process. Actually, Ned, sorry, but I have two more uh, questions. One is a very small one. Um, um, you very often use the word script and, and sometimes score. Um, so your performances are scripted. You have a script and you have live performances, but you have also very interesting films that you could call film performance uh, or filmed performances. Um, so uh, what is for you the importance of liveness um, in performance? Because you, uh, it's interesting that you move in between the film performance and the performance. At the same time, I connect it to my last question, the influence of Corona and, and the COVID pandemic on live performance. Huh? For a very long time, we didn't have live acts. We only had, like we are doing this podcast now, we only had Zoom and screens. Um, you were already, before the pandemic, you were already having film performances and live performances. So that's my main question, actually. Um, did, did that change you as an artist, the, the period that, that uh, we had the last two years? Um, did it change your uh, feeling of importance of live performance or going more into film performances? And more general, uh, what do you think is the future of live performance after this pandemic? Okay, so uh, well, to respond to the importance, uh, yeah, what is important for me in life at all, the, the difference to film, I think, um, yeah, I, I always try to think about that and I never really uh, conclude uh, to anything. Um, this idea of the body on the screen or the body on the stage. I think I spoke a lot with Ian White about this, um, who, who in a way was, uh, well, beside of being or having been a very good friend and mentor, he was also my dramaturg for my films. Um, and I think he, yeah, we kind of always th thought in a way um, the life before the life body is, is, yeah, is not necessarily more powerful, let's say, than the body on the screen because it can affect you also emotionally equally um, but I think the sense, I think the sense of um, fragility is different though um, on, on the screen uh, than on live because as, as like the, the reason why I want to use the, the, uh, the camera is that I, you know, that it's a specific role, a specific role in the performance. I actually used in my notes this uh, idea of the Baroque sculptures, that the camera in a way unfolds uh, stories or interrupts stories that develop. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm also very interested in using the camera to, to capture these moments when that, that are just in between a scripted movement or that are, you know, where the performance makes these quick small decisions um which which you see live of course because yeah especially if if you ask a performer to hold a position for a longer time or you know uh, and then move into a new position and and they have there are these moments and in between and i think with so the relationship for me is also that with the camera i i don't want to cut this away um but it It, a body on the screen does feel very different to the body on the stage. I think also because you can repeat it again, like you can just, yeah, uh, you can repeat the film again. Uh, but in a way, it still doesn't mean that it's always exactly the same, of course, you know. Um, so I'm, I know more, I think, what are not the differences than what the differences are. I mean, I had a moment during Corona, especially it was really in the beginning when it was suddenly like, oh my God, maybe we can never leave the house again <laughs> or we can never actually speak to a person because it's um, too dangerous. So then I had a moment of panic where I thought, 
oh my God, then I can maybe not work with people again um, uh, this way. And uh, and I think in, for me, interestingly also, I because I was really uh, maybe almost obsessed or something with this idea of touch, you know, that was so key also like to just use these two um, projects like Opera and Steel and The Box. So, you know, it's the, I mean, in, in the Opera and Steel performance, it, it was based on the moment that the birder touches the oiled bird without gloves, you know, and risks to be, um, yeah, to be poisoned basically by the oil himself, you know. So, um, but he wanted to do it because it was more important to be this direct touch. So suddenly, yeah, the direct touch was the op, like trying to do the opposite of, uh, yeah, trying to prevent again, like looking at someone from a distance and so on. Like just to say, I mean, it came also back to reading Edward Said when I was studying this idea of direct touch and the history of touch. Um, so I was thinking a lot about that idea to to trying to f formulate also like choreographies or to to think about the diff how the different performers relate to each other and relate to the objects on the stage i mean in, in the boxer they really touch i mean they touch these art objects that are not you know in a gallery exhibition they're not allowed to be touched let's say you know these bronze sculptures but they really touch it and they really really touch it you know then the dancer goes back to them and touches them again you know so with corona i did think oh my god now it i have to really think about this idea of touch like how I work with this because now suddenly touch is like super dangerous you know you can't hug someone you now like even now well now the numbers are rising again but like I, I just it came out of habit to hug someone when I see them which is really sad <laughs> I mean so I think the touch became yeah that affected me I think uh, like this feeling and what that means then in a wider situation of course I mean also, even uh, giving each other a hand, uh, ha yeah. giving hands is still very strange to do. Uh, but at the same time, I miss it a lot. So yeah. um, I would like to end by um, having the wish that on the 16th of September, uh, there is no virus, coronavirus anymore. And we, Ned, you and I, we can meet for your performance and your exhibition wow that would be so amazing <laughs> and we can touch each other each other also yeah that would be uh would be a wonderful thing wouldn't I it i would yes. love that um so i just want to say thanks to both of you for i mean such a wonderful conversation and um yeah look forward to both of all of your your uh, future works thank you very much thank you Thanks for listening. You can find out more about our podcast and other parts of our programme, including our exhibitions, artist residencies and performances, if you head over to our website, therobertsinstituteofart.com or find us on Instagram at the Roberts Institute of Art. You can also sign up to our newsletter on the website to be the first to hear about our programming.